And welcome to Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit, the podcast where we dissect who framed Roger Rabbit, one minute at a time, with special guest, Gamo Martinez. That's right. This is Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit. I am Chris Blair, and I am here with my co-host, Annie McMullen. Hello. We are taking on the first minute of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and we are joined this week by a very special guest, an animator, and the head of story for the movie Mitchells and the Machines. Mitchell, the I'm machine. sorry, Mitchell versus the Machines. I'm already best everything. This is the first episode. Okay. <laughs> I'm worried. (laughs) This is off to a fantastic start. Uh, (laughs) We are joined by Guillermo Martinez. Welcome, Guillermo. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited by the concept of this podcast and especially hosted by you amazing, beautiful people. So thank you for inviting me. We invited you because mostly because you're beautiful. It has nothing to do with the uh, content or your, you know, industry experience yeah. like that. it's exclusively aesthetic yeah we were talking about beforehand nothing but beautiful people on this podcast it's yeah. really it's really sad because like it's like a it's like an audio medium so like they won't be able to see how beautiful i am true but i am and uh i don't know it's just yeah, yeah. thank you so much thank you for recognizing me not for my talent but for what god gave me which was yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we thought you'd appreciate that and, and it's thank apparent you from much. your voice oh thank you Guillermo. <laughs> What is your relationship with the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit? So for me, like uh, this movie, I remember watching it as a, as a kid and I was, as a lot of kids were, were raised in like animated movies and like watched cartoons, but like this was like a mind bender the first time I saw it because I was like, what's happening? Like, it, because it, the, the first time I saw it, it starts off with the, I don't want to get into like the first minute, but it starts as like an animated movie. And then all of a sudden humans start coming in there and you're like, what is happening? What's going on? And I, it, for me, it was like, a, like an obsession. And that, by that time, like there was no internet. So I couldn't go in and be like, how was this made? So for the longest time, I was like, oh, humans are interacting with animated characters. Like, what do I have to do to do to get to meet those characters? Like, <laughs> it, it was just like a mind blowing experience to the point that like I told my mom, I was like, is it radioactive like that like, like to be around those sort of beings like i don't know like, like what are the consequences of, of too much tune exposure you were yeah, like, like, like I, as a kid my brain went to like if you shake the hands of Minnie mouse or whatever it's like you know that you know have you guys seen chernobyl yeah <laughs> so, you know when the guy holds the, holds the piece of like a uh, thing and then his hand starts like getting red and then it gets like worse and worse and worse i thought that was gonna happen so i was like a hypochondriac kid so like and a huge imagination too but uh but then i but then my mom like she even showed me a book and an article saying like hey, this is how you do it and it became almost like when you find out that santa claus doesn't exist it's that moment of like oh i actually wish i didn't even <laughs> you know because it was like very yeah. sad it was like oh they do it well with animators boo you could still be in under the belief that this is really happening on the screen 100 percent. and some people will find that adorable and i'm like man that adult man that giant man doesn't still believe in this shit <laughs> so uh who is your favorite cartoon character by the way um oh boy um i have to i don't know i have to say probably probably Bugs Bunny I think mm. 
I think the way he took, like, the way he used to, like, uh, take it, you know, like, whenever he was being bullied by someone, the way he would, like, be so almost Machiavellian and how to, like, how he would torture the other person was really interesting. And that's, I used to be, like, really obsessed with, like, uh, with Looney Tunes characters when I was a kid, more than Disney, because, like, Disney was, like, magical and whimsical when, like, Looney Tunes also almost feels like for adults. Like, if you're, like, oh, if you smoke cigarettes, you love Looney Tunes. Like, that sort of vibe. <laughs> Like it was more edgier and it was just like I think it's specifically the stuff that that uh Chuck Jones did and Chuck Jones this is like getting like deep into animation but he's like he was like the father of Looney Tunes like he was responsible for the movie the the Looney Tunes that would inspire Mel Brooks to make his movies like it's it's um it's a big deal <laughs> yeah. yeah I get that like it they really do have way more of an edge than like the the Disney cartoons do Oh yeah. Oh no. And then I mean, I love that. I love every single one of them. I think it's just for me, Looney Tunes like made me laugh the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and like there was sm- there was cigarette smoking. There was like drinking. However, however, that being said, like I don't know if you guys ever saw Pinocchio. Oh uh, yeah. That scene when they go to Pleasure Island and that kid is screaming for his mom because he's turning into a donkey. Oh, that is horrifying. That was one of the scariest things I've ever seen at that point in my life. Like hands down, that was the worst horror movie. That was the <laughs> yeah. And it, it just it was like oh, this is the little little wooden boy wants to be a real boy. This is the consequences. What's happening? It's like it was just haunting. It was so haunting. We are going to be talking about minute one of the movie, which starts with the Touchstone logo and ends with Mrs. Herman threatening to send Roger back somewhere. We we get it cut off at the end of the clip. So it begins with the Touchstone logo. Uh, Do you know much about Touchstone pictures? I I do not. I know like nothing about it. Um, You know, everything... Again, I bring no professional expertise to any of this. It's all just vibes from from me. And so what I know about Touchstone is that that logo has like a a very intense, um, it's just very of the time, right? Like that logo looks more like when it was made than anything else. It's got werewolf vibes. It's got like crackly 80s screen static kind of level graphics. It's got a like a little bit of Miami Vice happening. It just it just feels like that time. <laughs> That's what I know about Touchstone Pictures. As in uh, the 1940s, or the time as in when the movie was made. When the movie was made, but mm-hmm. in the you know late 80s, early 90s, it's got very much like that that I, iteration I, of the logo. I got the same vibes. Like every time I saw it, I would always think. Miami Vice for some reason and, and it wasn't that Touchstone did Miami Vice but like and I don't even know like the more I think about it I'm like I'm not even sure what the logo is like it's just like a, a circle that pops up splash a lightning and you're like okay like how did like I want to be in the meeting I would I would love to be in the meeting where they were like yeah yeah oh ooh, this is this is nasty I love it what is the touchstone i don't know man whatever this is great like it was just so weird and i think the first time i saw it was was um at roger rabbit and i thought that the saxophone was part of the like you know like i was like oh this is like the sexiest like (laughs) like (laughs) like i want every touchstone logo reveal to have this that saxophone being like hey we're touchstone we are (laughs) 
Okay, that I I literally have that written down in my notes from from this minute, and that is that like the music is is horny saxophone. Like yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that is like where that music was written for. I, Chris Chris has facts like the the truth about what this is, but whatever it is, that clip sounds it's the most like um, just representative. It's just like archetypal horny saxophone music and i'm if it's not this it's something very close is like always used for like insert horny sax here it is that song yeah right i I have a feel i have a strong feeling that like in editorial they were like they put the logo but they had like the whimsical like cartoon music and they were like this is it and then the executive showed up and he was like (laughs) <laughs> let me watch that. Let me watch that. And then they played it, and he's like, "I'm not horny enough. Uh, how, how, how am I getting horny?" And they're like, "Well, we can put a saxophone on." And he's like, "Yeah." And then that's yeah. what happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's this more horny for sure. Yeah. A Jeffrey Katzenberg move right here. Yeah. Oh, oh, I I don't know if I could say anything, but yes. I'm a- <laughs> if there's anything I know about cats, it's that yeah. at the beginning of every movie, he's got to feel horny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lead, you have to lead with horny. Lead with horny. Otherwise, you're going to get the wrong vibe. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so my, my theory uh, on this is, is pretty much the same. Um, so I, my theory is that Roger Rabbit is definitely not a kid's movie. I, I think it's a common misconception that it's like a kid's cartoon movie that has a detective story in it. No, it is a... <gasps> It is a adult detective movie in an alternate universe where cartoon characters are real people. Uh, and I think this beginning music was there just to clarify, like, hey, this is for adults. I yeah. agree with you. I, I, I like agree with you. I felt like they were setting up the tone very early mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And it was just hilarious that they're like, no, 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 no. We, we got to think about this like adults. It's like, but my kid wants to watch it. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, this is like what you watch after you've been drinking, drunk all night. You're just laying in the mat in your bed of a strange person. And you're like, oh, wow. What's on, what's on TV? Ah, Roger Rabbit. <laughs> you know, like, it's, like, there was a there was a vibe to it that, like, even as I was watching it as a kid, I was like, I feel grown up, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I did too. Like, and I did not understand what was happening during most of the movie. Uh, but, you know, it didn't matter. It felt so adult to be watching it. Uh, yeah. So, Speaking of adults, Touchstone Pictures was actually created by Disney as a way to make more adult sorts of movies. Other Touchstone Pictures include Pretty Woman, The Royal Tenenbaums, and Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. Roger Rabbit does have some representation there at at Disneyland, but there is yet to be a Deuce Bigelow ride. And that's a shame, really, (laughs) because think of the possibilities. I like I think I think just you saying that makes me think that like Disney you think they know everything but they don't <laughs> <laughs> I actually I actually know where that ride for the Roger Rabbit is because I used to be obsessed with going to Disneyland but it's always like a dead area like no one goes there so I'm like but but if you were like to be like Mickey Mouse uh Splash Mountain Deuce Bigelow Mel Gigolo the ride that thing yeah. will be packed the entire time it's like it's like oh we want to see when he holds onto the fish tank and then drops it you know which to this day is like one of the best scenes yeah, any movie <laughs> it would really revitalize toontown for sure it would make a pop i think so 
I'm looking at this list and like, you know, not to like overdo it, the horny point, but like horny is like a very specific energy, right? Like it's not sultry, it's not sexy. It's not like intimate. It's just, it's horny, you know, like it's its own deal. And like, with the exception of the Royal Tannenbaums, which is probably just like niche horny, like the rest of these movies are all, they all pretty, they fit pretty well. Like this was their horny studio. Like this wasn't just more adult. It was like very, it was very specific. Like Pretty Woman Splash. I mean, Splash is extremely horny. Yeah. Right. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. This is this this is insane. And I thought because I know I know Miramax was also kind of the this part of the Disney. Uh, like it's like a branch of Disney. I thought that was like the the the, the horny one. I'm like, no. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Touchstone. Yeah, it's, it's the one with touch in the title. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, stu- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Did they make Cats? What studio made Cats? Because that's the horniest movie I've seen in a long time. Well, I want to believe that. I want to believe that Touchstone wished he got the <laughs> Cats before. Them. I think couldn't um, afford it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we have determined uh, Touchstone, horniest studio ever. Uh, mm-hmm. We get to the next screen, which is um, it gives the other studios involved. It gives uh, Touchstone. It gives Amblin, which is uh, Steven Spielberg's studio. Uh, Steven Spielberg, of course, was the one who was able to bring all this different IP together for the movie. And we also get Silver Screen Partners 3, which I couldn't find a lot of information at first. So I had to do a little digging. This was a a group uh, that would help finance films, usually Disney films. And fun fact, George W. Bush was on its board of directors. So if you wondered if a former president had anything to do with who framed Roger Rabbit, the answer is yes. This is is amazing. (laughs) He's not the one I would guess. Yeah, me neither. Although, if you were to tell me George W. Bush was actually a tune, I would completely believe it. You know what? You have a point there. That makes sense to me. Yeah, he does. He he did he did act like a tune who was trying to be human. <laughs> being like, okay, I think I know how this works. <laughs> I, I don't like like him just like walking like like all wobbly and <laughs> and like him thinking like, oh, I'm really fooling people. People really think I'm human right now. Like the president that we got was basically was probably like the like a tune actually killed a real George W. Bush and then like used his yeah. body. Even Jed was like, "What's going on? Like, doesn't Bush doesn't George feel weird? He's just like really weird today." I I think it says a lot if uh if you're a president and the person who can nail your impression best is Will Ferrell, like that yeah. is that says something. You know, yeah, specific specific kind of character he does. Oh yeah! Oh, hundred percent. That is very telling. But yeah. I mean, I mean, it makes sense because I also think that George W. Bush, like he was, like he used to paint. You know how that he's always like showing off his dog paintings. <laughs> like I wonder if he was like, yeah, this is. I want to. I mean, I wonder if he always wanted to like at some point be like, I want to do cartoons. I want to want to animate or I want to draw. It's like those are photorealistic for him. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> <laughs> he just can't tell the difference between him and like regular humans and tunes. Like yeah, his, exactly. his, his first day at office, he was like, uh, so the first thing I'm gonna I want to do is meet the cast of Roger Rabbit, and they're like, they don't exist. Oh, okay. Uh, so 
Yeah, so we can just talk about the, the conflict in the Middle East then, I guess. Uh. Some executive keeps getting, like, his admin keeps coming in and saying, like, uh, George W. Bush called again. He's still asking to meet Jessica Rabbit. Primo, <laughs> <laughs> do you think the childhood part of you would have related more to him if he would have asked to uh, meet the cast of Roger Rabbit? A hundred percent. Oh, very much so. Like, I think I would have been like, this guy gets me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Hollywood should have been, at least been like, hey, just let's just give him some cutouts and he can take photos with them. And it's like, oh, there, there they are. So we next get the, the title, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Now, this is altered from the title, Who Censored Roger Rabbit? The title of the book has a question mark in it, but the title of the movie does not have a question mark in it because apparently it is bad luck to have a question mark in the title of your film. Really? If that, and if that were the title of the film, that really would not have a question mark. Um, so, Wait, so a question mark is a bad, it's like a, it's like a bad. Yeah, yeah. Apparently it's bad luck. I didn't investigate too much into uh, where that superstition came from, but you know that that exists. So basically, um, so how much, how did, was, what about Bob? Like, what, like that, the, like that Richard Dreyfuss film, or like Bill Murray? Yeah. Like, did yeah. Or did it, was they like, no, we can't do that again? Yeah. I would guess everything that you think is a question that's a movie title is actually a rhetorical question. Oh, wow. It's like you're not looking for the answer of who actually framed Roger Rabbit. It's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's a rhetorical one. <laughs> yeah. Think of it as like he who framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> he who framed Roger Rabbit. It's like, <laughs> so, so this movie is actually about, well, you know, I, I won't get into uh, who actually framed Roger Rabbit as a spoiler, but, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, you better not spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> we get to the next screen, which is the opening card for the cartoon, which is an image of Baby Herman and Roger Rabbit popping up. This was like a punch to the face. Like we were like, we were like promised a very sensual, like... <laughs> Like it was, it was both, it was both like hauntingly traumatizing, but amazing at the same time. Cause it was like sexy, sexy, horny saxophone. And then, boom. Yeah. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, what is happening? But you're excited about it. Like, yeah, that was my feeling. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a tone shift. Uh, both songs by Owen Silvestri, by the way. He composed both the sexy saxophone music and this opening uh, theme. Very reminiscent of like the Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies type opening. You know, when I was a kid and watching this for the first time, uh, before I saw it and I saw the advertisement for Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I was like, oh, wow, this is a movie that has like Donald and Daffy together. But it bothered me a little bit that I didn't know who Roger Rabbit was. All these characters, why isn't it Who Framed like Donald Duck? So I was hoping that we would get some sort of introduction to Roger Rabbit so I would at least get who he was. So I remember oh, yeah. being very happy when I saw this. Oh, this is starting with a Roger Rabbit cartoon. I had a, I had a, a traumatic I mean, a traumatic moment with a kid. I was defending Roger Rabbit as a kid and they were like, oh, it's a stupid movie. And I'm like, no, it's not a stupid movie. It's a genius movie that you don't understand. And then the kid was like, well, what is, is who's Roger Rabbit? Is he from like Disney or is he from Looney Tunes? And I was like, ah. And then I was like frozen. I was like, wait, what is he though? Like I didn't even I, I didn't even have time to think that like I just saw a new character. Because there's so many like Disney's characters here and there and like and, and Warner Brothers characters here and there. Like and I didn't even think like, wait, who does he belong to? Is he a rogue? Freelance? What, what is going on? So yeah, that question was uh yeah, that was a um, but for me, if he felt more like a he felt more Looney Tunes than anything. 
Uh, yeah, he definitely has, I feel like, more of a character design of a oh, yeah. Tunes type character. Yeah, but kind of like the sort of like hobo, not a hobo rabbit with like the overalls and like, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and the way he talks too, I feel, is a way more sort of like a, a Looney Tunes sort of way of talking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's very Looney Tunes. It's like, it's like when it's like when you close your eyes if you've never seen a cartoon and you think of a cartoon like that's what shows up it's like that sort of like silly whoa like it's just like that which i think made it better than when you find out that it was more like this movie was like a chinatown but for kids you know <laughs> yeah would you say he's like a stereotype of a cartoon character i think it was a massive stereotype of a cartoon character like if you if for those people who hate cartoons like this is what they think of when they think of it they're like oh it's like someone who just talks and you're like stop it please stop talking like that's that's how he feels like but yeah yeah he's i mean i have heard a lot of people say that they find roger rabbit very annoying and i understand why yeah and i don't and i don't know why i mean i'm trying to think about why i say that because like when you think about like the the main characters of each company warner Bros. and disney they're very like calm like mickey's calm bugs bunny's calm Maybe there's goofy and stuff like that, but like there's not like a lot of like, silly characters. But for some reason, I don't know why. Like people, when they think of animated, I, yeah, it's hard to explain. But like, yeah, like he 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 was he's the he's the stereotypical cartoon character. Yet there's not a lot of characters that resemble his attitude or like his yeah. way of talking. I guess it's just because it's kind of an amalgamation of uh, many yeah. different different cartoon characters and like their, their styles. Um, so we get to the next screen. This is the first mention of Maroon Cartoon, the fictional cartoon studio that this is happening. Uh, this is all set up to look like it's in the golden age of animation. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I feel it really does have that feel. It looks like it could have been plugged out from something they would have shown in the theaters around this time. And well, that was like, I mean, it was, and it was also beautifully done by like, the, all the animators, all animation is done by Richard Williams, who's like this, uh, he's like, for me, like a, a godfather of animation because like he, he wrote the book called The Animation Survival Kid. And it's like this guy who's been doing it for a long time. And he was like super intense and passionate about animation. And that's why the animation looks so perfect and so clean. And it's, yeah, it's just, like, I, this might be getting off topic, but, like, I, the first time I met him, it was at a panel in San Francisco where a kid asked him, like, hey, I want to make my own animation studio eventually. And he said, please don't. It's, it's the worst idea you can do. Like, your life will be miserable and you won't find happiness again. And then he, then went, and then he went off to someone else. And I was like, whoa, I like curmudgeon. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Just because it's such a complicated thing to do and requires so much work. But also it's complicated. Yeah, and I and I get him. Like, you know, like if you're as, as an if you're an animator, you're not if you're an artist and you make a company, eventually you start doing like you stop doing the work and become more like the head of a studio. And so like you're it, it's sort of maybe like the like you don't get to the opportunity to do as much art as you do. But like I think also like he was very perfectionist. He's a huge perfectionist. Mm-hmm. One note, one thing to know is that like, I think all this movie was animated in once, which is like a not not a word like as I was telling you like inside baseball of animation like, like once is like, it's like, okay so like drawings of twos are like you know like I don't even know how to explain it but drawings of ones are a lot of drawings, 
it's like so it, it feels very fluid it's like very it feels instead of being like choppy like so like sometimes you see stop motion like once it's like very fluid which requires like thousands and thousands and thousands of drawings and so the fact that he did it this way and for this movie was like bonkers yeah that sounds incredibly complicated um, oh yeah <laughs> I am a terrible artist. I wish I could do any sort of drawing, but even that sounds like it would be incredibly difficult for even the most talented artists. Oh, it is. It is. And and, it, and when you realize it, when you think about it, it, you don't really need to do that many drawings, but he wanted to. Like He just wanted to make the most fluid animation possible. And, and I think that led to probably him being like, you know, like just frustrated with everything. And also I think working probably in that movie, which I think I heard like war stories about that movie and like how difficult it was to make. Yeah, it definitely seems difficult, especially with all the other challenges they had to, to work with. Which oh, yeah. like we'll definitely be getting into later too. But I know this was like this, yeah. having it interact with real life uh, was such a huge Oh my god! Yeah, it was the big. I, I almost feel like it was the beginnings of, of like you know CG monsters. You know, like the idea of like of talking to that thing that's not there. Yeah. You know, and having to act like an act, like 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 God bless uh, so Bob Hoskins. Like the fact that he's just like emoting, talking to this nothingness. Like <laughs> at least now that like they do a cut out of the character and then you talk to it, which is like so weird. But the fact that like you're like talking to possibly like a tennis ball. And yeah. you're like emoting, it's like crazy. Um, on this title screen, we also get a little subtle hint of what year it is. In Roman numerals, it says uh, 1947. Ah, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> little little Easter egg. Uh, we get the the next uh, the next card, which is Roger Rabbit and Baby Herman, indicating that this is a cartoon for them. Baby Herman is first. I think we get some indication later on that Baby Herman's more of the star than Roger Rabbit is. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, it's it, it. I was always like, I was always confused. Like, like, like the, we the way they draw babies, like, is so, it's so weird. Like, as as a father, like, you know, like it's it's. I was like, oh man, are are heads that big? And then like having two babies, I was like, oh wow, you guys are literally like look like baby Herman, you know, just like without without the cigar smoking. Oh boys, oh, you got it. <laughs> We get to the next screen, which is the, the title card, uh, Something's Cooking, the title of this particular short. Change from the script. In the screenplay, it was Rabbit Sitting. There's actually a few of these shorts made. They, Disney made a few more Roger Rabbit, Baby Herman shorts that they put on uh, the front of some movies, including Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And they basically all have the same setup that this one does, where Roger is given the task to babysit for Baby Herman and messes everything up. I, I I love that like they release these like animated versions of like oh what's happening with baby Herman where in my mind I'm like as a as a as a, as a kid I was like I don't really care about him <laughs> about his cartoons I want I cared more about his uh, being accused of murder like you know like that was for me like the the, the thing and so it was interesting that they did like shorts of like of, like hey here's your silly friend uh, uh Roger Rabbit he's doing good no longer worried about being accused of murder <laughs> yeah those, <laughs> those are some really heavy stakes although as we'll discover in something's cooking the short also has some really heavy stakes for Roger Rabbit which oh uh, yes we'll, we'll get to in a bit 
we see that this is directed by someone named Raul J. Raul, which is quite interesting. I don't think I've ever known somebody in real life who had the same first name as they did last name. I've also never seen Raul spelt like that. It Like I've seen it with multiple different vowel combinations, but that one has like all the vowels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like R-A-O-U or it's got like a, a lot of, it's a lot of vowels in that one. One might argue too many vowels. <laughs> I like the concept of like, of, of this cartoon. Like that name just says that like, he's done like very like, avant-garde movies and this is like he has to do these movies for money like it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like like he treats everyone horribly probably in the crew like he just hates everyone it's like <laughs> i just hear that name and i'm like oh this person is horrible yeah he got in some gambling debt and, oh yeah you know. I, I don't know why i love just giving backstories to all these <laughs> All these like different characters <laughs> well we do get to see raul for a little bit but um yeah Guillermo, uh, what exactly does a director for a cartoon do? Um, well, I mean, I, I think they just, um, the best way to put it is they direct, <laughs> they direct oh. animators to like, you know, to make the film. But no, but in reality, it's like, I think there's like a lot of differences between live action and animation. Live action, I think it's a lot more of a, a faster pace, like, because, you know, oh, I want to shoot this thing, you, you go to the place, you shoot it, and then, you know, you, you edit it and stuff here an animation is always like because you have to almost draw or build everything that exists like it, it takes a longer time but someone was mentioning how like animation sometimes feels like it's like the it's like theater where you're constantly re, because it takes so long you're constantly fixing and like you know if the story's not making sense you have enough time to like work on it like it, like these movies take like four or five years to make so it's a, that's, you know, that's the best short answer of what they do, you know. We uh, then begin the actual cartoon opening on Baby Herman, uh, and we meet Mrs. Herman, played by April Winchell. One thing uh, about April is we, uh, sorry, about Mrs. Herman is we do not see her head at any point during this. Now, this is a little bit of a trope. Uh, I think in like some Tom and Jerry cartoons, we don't see the, the head. Uh, certainly in, in uh, Muppet Babies, uh, the nanny character, we just see her stockings and we don't see anything above that. Uh, now I know this was kind of a, a symbolic sort of thing, like, okay, these characters are low to the ground. They can't see up that high. Um, my weird kid brain did think when watching them up at babies that possibly she was not wearing anything up above the stockings. And that's why <laughs> um, I had the I had the uh, I was an '80s and '90s kid a girl uh, experience, which was like remembering that that. Her calves, like, which are very, like, normal human calves, uh, and then that's all you really see of her is, like, normal human calves, and, like, maybe her feet are, like, a little jammed into those uh, weird, uncomfortable-looking shoes that she has on, but I remember thinking that she was, like, particularly heavy set, and as an adult watching back, like, going back and watching it and being, like, yeah, she's a normal-sized human, and everything the 80s and 90s did to me was a crime against uh, women's body images. Like, this is where it begins. It begins in the first scene 
we're showing like normal human calves and every uh, person <laughs> in the 80s was like, whoa, she should get a thigh master or whatever. <laughs> so do you think that Roger Rabbit was promoting body positivity then by showing a more normal uh, looking character? I, I mean, we'll get to Jessica in a minute. I'm going to say no. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a very yeah. sharp contrast. So I, I do wonder, what, what do you think the reason is we don't see her head? Because to baby Hermit, yeah, we, he's low to the ground. He might not see her head, but Roger's much higher up. Is this possibly the tune had some had it in her contract that um, that <laughs> she her head would be shown? Yeah, I feel like she didn't. She was one of these actresses that used to make them. There was like a huge actress. So she was like a huge star. She was like not into this. She needs the money. She's like, can we do something where like you don't see my face? And they were like, yeah, we can shoot you from just the legs. So and she's like, perfect. That's my favorite feature. So yeah, that's great. <laughs> so like that, that was that was that was the dynamic. <laughs> but I used to think that like uh, like the in the Muppet Babies, uh, uh, the nanny. I, for some reason as a kid and maybe it's because I was traumatized as a kid or something <laughs> like I always thought like maybe she's hideous like not hideous in the sense of like she's gross but like she's like some some demonic looking face <laughs> or something like I think like, that's I think that's just the vibes the normal sized calves were giving you I think like yeah. I think that that says a lot <laughs> about like the way we but I I also think like I think there's two ways you can answer that question there's like what is it? What's the answer in the tuniverse, right? Which is like yeah. what, what Guillermo's saying. And then the other answer is that like it is it is very tropey. And even in this first minute, there are so many like tropes that they're kind of heightening. Cartoons, Looney Tunes especially for sure. But like Charlie Brown has the parents who are sort of like wah wah wah, you know, the teacher, right? Like any adult like isn't part of the. Um, so to me, it, it was just, it was like an escalation of that, of that trope, right? She's got this like cartoonishly awful, grown up, horrible voice. She, you know, is sort of over the top ridiculous and you can't see her because she's like the grown up and Roger is presented as kind of like childish. I always found that kind of weird, right? Like he's kind of childish um, and like kid-like is a lot of like little kid care like aspects to him so it's it's always weird that he is a very adult person and he's married to Jessica Rabbit and all that stuff but I think it's just the yeah they're just playing on that trope to me one question I had from watching that part I was like is Roger the pet of Miss Herman or because it looked like she was like he was waking up in the living room and she's like hey I'm gonna go off and like do this thing take care of the baby and it's like Wait, what are you? Are you like it, it, it's not a dog because like he has overalls. Like it, it's it's a very confusing relationship, and it's like yeah, like yes. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but like um, yeah, I, I did have that question too, of like what the relationship is because we don't know where she's going to send him back yet, but we do know she is threatening to send him back somewhere. So is she is she putting him in the overalls? Is she <laughs> is she saying like hey pet rabbit? Hold on, let me let me brush out your the crop of orange hair that's popping out from the top of your head and put your overalls on every day. Yeah, and is she <laughs> specifically raising him to babysit her kids so she can go off? Can I allow me to tell this version, my ver- what I think the version of Roger Rabbit's existence is? Yeah. 
Roger Rabbit was this creepy looking rabbit that was like rejected by the other rabbits. And one rainy night, a car passed by and uh, Miss Herman was like, I'm going to take you to my home. And then she took him home, cleaned him up. And he was like, yeah, I have a home. And she's like, you're going to put on my overalls of my dead child, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, and his little <laughs> yellow gloves and you're going to be him. His name was Roger. It's like, I don't have a name. Your name is Roger. That child died in the care of a different pet that she had what rescued from a side of the road. Well, yes. I, I'm sure we'll get to this in minute three, but I do theorize that Miss Herman is trying to have baby Herman killed. Uh, yeah, because it's very yeah, obvious yeah. from things that happened that this is her plan. Oh my God. So she, like, she left that house. She planned to never come back again. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to walk back in this door and all my problems are going to be taken care of. <laughs> I do. I do have to say, because we're, you know, we're talking about Roger's appearance a little bit is that like, you know, I know it's a cartoon style, right? Like you pick little things and you do them consistently and they're not necessarily accurate, but Roger is a super freaky rabbit. Like he is like a, he's weird shaped. He's, he's like gangly, but then he's kind of thick at the bottom. He's got like an odd number of like foot pads on the bottom. of. So you know how they take cartoons, like you've seen those weird um, uh, like computer graphic, computer rendering of like what SpongeBob would look as like a in real life, right? Or like Patrick Starr or whatever. I'm dying to see one of these of Roger because I think it would just be a horror show like it would be so, it was scary so haunting it's like if carrot top got stuck as like a rabbit <laughs> like, yeah. it's there's something going to be not right about this whole look and i want to see it too. <laughs> <laughs> for anybody listening if you want to uh make that image happen please send it into us this is a call to action really <laughs> call. For, uh, for all of our fans <laughs> The minute ends with her making a threat to Roger of sending him back somewhere very rudely, not saying Rod talking about Roger in the third person to baby Herman as she's making this threat, saying that we're going to send him back to somewhere. Very menacing. Yeah, it was, it was, it's, it's, it was scary. Do either of you have anything else for this minute? Hmm. No, you know, I, I, my, my takeaway of this minute is that there's really a lot packed into it, you know, mm-hmm. for, uh, for 60 seconds, you know, we start with sort of horny Miami vice, yeah. uh, and we go into horny saxophone and then we go immediately into like slapstick cartoon, um, body dysmorphia, uh, setting up a scene to be dangerous <laughs> and a freak rabbit, you know, like it's a lot for 60 seconds. It's an emotional roller coaster. It's the 60 <laughs> seconds. This, this minute has gotten me so excited for the rest of this movie, uh, for the rest of these, of this podcast. Cause I'm, I'm like, wow, all the other things that I cannot wait to talk about <laughs> are like, like little dorky things like here and there that, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting. Yeah. That's it for today, but don't be too sad. We'll be releasing new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can be part of the community on Facebook. Our group is Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit Listeners. There's even ways to participate within the shows. I want to thank Guillermo for joining us. You can check out Mitchell's Burst the Machines, Nailed It. That's on Netflix. And I want to thank Dueling Genre and Scott Corelli for hosting us. 
You can check out all their podcasts, including many more Movies by Minutes ones, on DuelingGenre.com, and you can click on the link to support. Thanks again, and we will see you on Wednesday for Minute 2 of Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit.